The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. When we come into the presence of this incredible God, when we come and we experience God and we know Him through Jesus Christ, when we come into a relationship with Him, a saving relationship with Him, it changes us. It rewires us. It all of a sudden, the things that we were passionate about before, maybe we have a passion for them, but a diminished passion if they rival at all any of the passions of Jesus Christ. That we, that we see things differently, that we view the world differently, that we have a tenderness that the world doesn't understand. And that we have a desire for justice uh, that the world doesn't understand. And our hearts break for those, as we talked about last week, who have no voice. Those who are marginalized within the world. Uh, Those who, like our brothers and sisters, are immigrants in other places. That we're tender to those uh, who the Lord is tender to. And it's because we've come in relationship with this God. This redeeming, purposeful, majestic, holy, faithful tender, great, and awesome God. And what we're doing now as we have studied the book of Exodus together, we're, we're moving through over the course of the next months, not in a complete uh, treatment of Exodus, but in a primer, if you would, looking at some of the great themes within it, looking at some of the stories, trying to bring meaning to them and understanding to them to take uh, this historic narrative that happened thousands of years ago, uh, and bring it in and go, what am I supposed to learn about God in the middle of this? What am I supposed to learn uh, about myself in relation to God in the middle of this story? How do I see the Exodus story? It's not just uh, a wonderful movie that you, we, that you watch at Easter time and you get fired up about, uh, but it is a true story. It's our story, and it's also a paradigm for our salvation, our spiritual life. And so today, uh, we're going to come and we're going uh, to, to really look at this, the theme would be uh, meeting our great Redeemer. And we've talked about redemption's journey, and today we're going to meet our great Redeemer, and it's not Moses. We're going to re- meet the Redeemer of Moses, who then used Moses uh, as sort of a deputy Redeemer, if you would, to go into Egypt and to redeem his people. Uh, but he was a steward. He was an ambassador uh, of the true Redeemer that went in. And we're going to engage and meet this God who changes everything for us. You know, last week I said that uh, when we come and we encounter this God, that we're passionate about the things that he's passionate about, it, that we get busy in the world, that we, that we go and we do things. I mean, think about uh, the church historic, when it cared for those who God cared for. You realize that the Sunday schools that we host for our children, it's not in the vein of the Sunday schools that were started in the early uh, part of the 18 and middle 1800s in Great Britain. Those Sunday schools were started by Christians who were concerned about child labor. And they were concerned about all these impoverished people whose children could never go to school because at the age of six, they were working in the coal mines and in the factories and in the shipyards. And they were seen as expendable commodities. That if they died, so what? If they were ever educated, who cares? And so the church, compassionate, educated them on Sunday, the only day they had available. That's where Sunday school came from. You realize that, right? Now we've turned it into something that's just for us. Orphanages began because of the church's great passion uh, for the lost and the children of the world. That hospitals were started all around the world 
uh, that schools and other things were started out of a movement of God's spirit within the body of Christ. I want us to get that mind, but you have to come and encounter this God first. You can't just start going and doing those things first and then hope that God comes along and blesses it because you have to encounter God and to be radically and inexplicably changed by your relationship with him. And then you go out and you follow his call. And so when I learned in college about writing and public speaking and different things like that, I wasn't going into ministry. Uh, So I learned, though, that you should write your conclusion first and then work everything else uh, down to it. Decide what it is that you want to communicate uh, and then move through your points and get there. And then your introduction was the very last thing that you would write. And so I'm going to give away the conclusion first today, okay? I'm going to give you the conclusion and hope that you stay with me. So I'm giving away the ending. I did this to my family yesterday. Uh, We were watching, uh, you know, uh, Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard, the great second fight in in New Orleans, and watching uh, ESPN 30 for 30, and they hadn't seen it. I thought thought everybody knew that in the second fight that Roberto Duran went, no mas. And so they're watching it, and I walk in. I was like, oh, is this the one where he quits and says no mas? They're like, Really? You just ruined the ending. And I wasn't really welcome in the room, though I stayed. And I had to be quiet the rest of the time because literally just moments later, he went, no mas. And I just had this look given to me by some of those who love me most deeply. So I'm going to give you the ending first and hope that you stay with me, though, as I build up to why that's the conclusion. Here's the conclusion of the sermon today, that when you encounter the true and living God, you are inexplicably changed. You are different. You don't have certain little things changed in you, but at the very core of who you are, you are rewired. Isaiah said, in the presence of God, I come unraveled. And God puts me back together. That God changes him. God took a coal and he touched the lips of of Isaiah. I wonder why he touched his lips. Maybe because Isaiah was going to be a preacher. And he said, I'm going to change the very way you speak. And so I'm going to touch the thing that you're going to use most in my name. And so for you in your life, God comes in and he's going to touch something in your life and it will be forever changed. You're inexplicably changed because you came and people will notice it. And then the second part of the conclusion is this, and if and when you've been inexplicably changed because you've come in the presence of the true redeeming God, that you follow his call on your life. That you go and do what he's called you to do. Okay? So that's where we're moving. And I hope that the next few minutes together lead you to those conclusions. So we're going to look at scripture this morning from Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It'll be print, it's printed, or excuse me, it's up on the screens for you. But this is the word of the Lord. Looking at Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Let's pray. God, would you add your blessing now to the reading and hearing of your word. Would you teach us as we submit to you, trusting that you have something powerful to say to us today? There's never a light conversation with the God of the universe. And so, Lord, we're ready to hear from you. To Christ be the glory. Amen. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock uh, to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. 
When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression which which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? Who shall I say? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord. So, how do we get to the conclusion that in the presence and in uh, meeting the true God, the redeeming God, that we are inexplicably changed And that we are willing to follow his call. Well, where we start is we're going to start with this. That God redeems flawed people. God loves to redeem flawed people. That's the starting point. You see, we start with this because we know it in looking at some of the names that are given to us thus far in this story. The first and primary name is that of Moses. Now, Moses in the movies is this awesome guy. But if you think about Moses, think about him for a second. He was an arrogant, murdering coward who ran away and hid in Midian. And God said, I'm going to use you. Because Moses was this guy who had been set in a place of privilege and was unwilling to identify with his people for some reason. He knew that he was a Hebrew. We don't know when he came into that knowledge, but we know that he knew because when one of his Hebrew brethren was being beaten uh, by an Egyptian soldier, he said, this is one of my own. So for however many years he knew, for 40 some years of being in the palace, he didn't associate himself with the Hebrew people. He would rather have been in the palace than to suffer with his own people. He was a coward. And then he was an arrogant one because he thought, I can take justice into my own hand and commit murder, that I can kill this Egyptian, and then I can hide his body in the sand and get away with it scot-free. He knew what he did was wrong because he said that he killed the man and then looked around. You ever done something wrong? Anybody ever done anything wrong? What's almost the very next thing you do? You look around. Anybody see that? 
When you're driving home today and you pass a police officer, the first thing you're going to do is do what? Is he coming? Is he coming? Okay, no, we're good. He knew that he had done something wrong. And then he buried the body in the sand. And then instead of being man enough to stand up to the justice that he deserved, instead of standing up and going, here I am, I can do no other. Here I am, I did this wrong thing, I'm willing to stand and take the punishment that I deserve because I'm a just man and I'm a man who's willing to submit myself to the authorities placed over me. What did he do? He hightailed it out of Egypt. He went and ran and hid in Midian. He went and thought, well, here's a great place for me to hide. I'm going to go hide with a bunch of Bedouin shepherds over in Midian. And maybe no one will know who I am. Maybe my name will be stricken from all the roles that I'll just be forgotten. He probably also knew this. That maybe one day I can return to Egypt, but only after the current regime dies. And then I'm free. And maybe then I'll return. So this is the guy that God had an encounter with, this flawed individual. And then there's a couple of other names that are mentioned in there. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And you go, oh, what great patriarchs of of the faith. Have you read their stories? They're scoundrels and liars. Uh, Abraham was willing to allow his wife to be with another man instead of standing up and defending her. Not once, but twice. That these men that we look at, God says, I love to redeem flawed individuals. We live in a day and age, and some of you have bought into this lie that you need to clean yourself up uh, just enough to present yourself to God so that you're far enough along the curve that maybe you're not on the perfect side. You're not arrogant enough to think that you can make yourself perfect and then come to God, but you're going to do a lot of moral work. You're going to do a lot of stuff. You're going to sell a bunch of stuff. You're going to go and you're going to stop cussing and stop drinking and and stop smoking and stop dancing, and you're going to stop and stop and stop and stop and stop and stop and do and do and do and do and do and do and then maybe God will accept you because you've bought into this wonderful verse that says God helps those who help themselves now where is that in your Bible by the way you can't tell me because it's not there but yet it is one of the most quoted Bible verses in our country you know Bill I I like your church and I came out of a church uh, that really understood that God helps those who help themselves. Wow, then you didn't come out of a church. You came out of a cult. You came out of a moralistic, legalistic religion that has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity because God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. God comes to the ones who absolutely are so flawed and so messed up and their histories are such that they could never make themselves even palatable to the God of the universe. And so what we learn first is this. God loves to redeem flawed people. And why is that important? You need to come to the conclusion that you are a flawed person. You're not perfect. You're terrified of people knowing what you're really like, aren't you? You're terrified of people knowing what you're like in your home, that you have such a wonderful exterior and people think that you're so great, and then, but you're terrified to them to know uh, what it is uh, that you think, what it is that you look at in private, how it is that you treat 
uh, your family, how, what you do when you go on your business trips, what you do. We're terrified of being exposed. And God says, I love to use broken, flawed people just like you. But you have to be willing to say that you're broken and flawed and not perfect. That you don't have it all together. The church so desperately needs to be a place of broken, flawed people coming together and saying, I don't have it all together either. Who hears somebody confess something and instead of flinching and stepping away, they're drawn to them. They're drawn into relationship with them. Not in spite of their flaws and shortcomings, but because of them. People say, Bill, I'll like you in spite of this. Then that's not liking me and loving me. But if you say, I will love you in the midst of that, okay, then we can have, that's a starting point for us. And the beauty of this God who loves uh, to redeem broken and flawed people is he already knows us. He calls Moses by name. Hey, Moses, Moses, come over here. Can you imagine what Moses must have thought? Oh, no. He knows me. He knows me. When someone calls me Billy, I know that they know me from a long time ago. Hey, Billy. Oh, you must be from Columbia or Cape Girardeau or somewhere early in the Charlotte years uh, in that. Or when I see some of my friends from college and they're like, hey, and they call me a a nickname that I won't share with you. Um, (laughs) And I hear that nickname and I'm like, oh no, they know me. And shame quickly comes in because I know my life. And the same with Moses. He must have heard that name and gone, oh no. I know this much. He knew this much about God. His dad was a priest, by the way. He knew that he was going to Horeb, Sinai, which was the mountain of God. And so when he heard God calling him, he knew enough to go, oh no. But folks, here's the deal on the first point. God knows you already. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to put on a mask. You don't have to pose anymore. You can actually be honest that you don't know what you're doing in your marriage. You can actually be honest that you don't know how to raise your kids or the kids you don't know how to be a teenager living for Jesus Christ or that you're kind of confused or that you've failed or that you've busted up or that you've fallen this week or that you fell last week and you committed a sin and you're so torn up you can admit those things to God because he knows you by name and he goes, Bill, I already know that. And I still want you to come here. I still want you to come to me. Some of you are having a hard time digesting this right now. Because your whole life has been covered in shame. Of something you did a long time ago. Or something you did just a few minutes ago. And all it does is reaffirm in your mind the voice of an evil one. Who says to you you're not worthy of the love of God. You're not worthy of this. And I want you to hear the voice of your father. Calling your name. Saying I love to use Broken people like you. Let me engage your heart today. We could stop right there. And you know what the world around needs to hear? That they don't need to clean themselves up in order to come into the presence of our God. 
but that we can be honest and real. You know what the world, you know what Hilton Head and the low country and Bluffton need from Hilton Head Presbyterian Church? They need you to be real and to quit being pretenders and to live in pretense, but to simply say, I don't have all the answers either. But I do know this. I do know an awesome God who I'd love to introduce you to. So can I tell you about him? That's the kind of God we serve. That's the redeemer that we meet. He's a redeemer who loves to call flawed people like us. And then when he calls flawed people like us, you know what he does? He introduces himself to us. You ever met someone and you go, hey, I'm Bill McCutcheon. They go, hey, it's nice to meet you. You're like, what is your name? (laughs) Hi, I'm Bill McCutcheon. Hey, it's great to see you today. Uh, Yeah, it is. Bob, dude, guy, friend. You don't know what to call them because they don't introduce themselves. It's quite rude, actually. God isn't rude in that way. God introduces himself to flawed people that he's called. He loves to engage flawed lives and to lead them to himself so that he can change them and to make them who they were designed to be, uh, to come and to speak redemptively into their story, uh, to come and to speak tenderly and gently to them and passionately and all of those things. But he introduces himself to Moses. And so God loves to come in and to take you from where you are and to surprise you with his presence wherever it is. You probably weren't necessarily looking for God when you came into relationship with him. That something happened in your life to where there was a paradigm shift. Something happened. It it was relational. It was business-wise. It was internal. Something happened, and all of a sudden there was a shift. And you looked around, and you're like, okay, God's in the middle of that, and he's introducing himself to me. That's what Moses was doing. Moses was just out looking uh, for grass to feed the sheep. And all of a sudden, there was a burning bush over here with a guy standing in it who wasn't burning and then knew his name. Do you think that just happened by random chance? That just the fates got together that day? And God was like, well, I'm going to be hanging out in the burning bush and whoever comes by, if anybody comes by, I'm going to engage their life and use them as the redeemer. Or did the God of the universe in all of his knowledge, uh, in all of, all of his wisdom, say, I am going to right there at that spot in the southern Sinai Peninsula, knowing that Moses is going to be bringing his sheep by at this time, and I'm going to introduce myself to him and change his life forever. You see, God loves to introduce himself to flawed people like me and you. And he does it in the most miraculous way. He comes in through the tenderness of a neighbor. He comes in sometimes through an epiphany like this, uh, of his very, a theophany of his very presence within our midst. And Moses walked by, and Moses was a smart man. He knew that bushes sometimes burned in the desert. It wasn't a phenomenon that bushes would burn. He goes, hey, a burning bush. Then he went, oh, but the bush isn't burning. And there's a person standing in the bush, and he's not burning. And he uses the language here. It's very interesting. He says, and he looked, and behold, the bush wasn't burning, yet it was not consumed. So Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Interesting, the word there in the Hebrew is, I will detour. I will take a detour from the normal course of my life because the way that you engage uh, the God of the universe is usually and most often on a detour. He takes you from where you think you're heading and what you think that you're supposed to be about and he detours you just like if you're trying uh, today to leave the church and to get over onto um, Marshland Road and then uh, to get over to Matthews. You're not going to make it very well. And so there's this big orange sign that says detour. 
And you're going to have to turn and turn and get around because it's closed there. God detoured Moses. He detoured him. And he says, I want you to come and meet me. And I want to introduce myself to you, Moses. And I'm going to do it in this way that's going to be stunning to you. I'm going to come and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to be in a bush. And I'm going to be fire in a bush. Because you see, he was introducing himself as an all-consuming God. He was introducing himself as a self-sufficient God who didn't need a bush to sustain his life. That it was his temple. God made that bush his temple. The Shekinah glory of God descended upon that bush and he took up residence at that bush. Not in the bush, but at that bush. And he said to Moses, here I am, Moses. And he introduced himself to Moses. And Moses looked and he was drawn to the God of the universe. And God draws you to himself. You're drawn to him and he came into his presence. And Moses realized a couple of things. He'd been taught well uh, by his father-in-law Jethro, by Raul, that he was taught this. Do not look at God. Because if you look at God, you will be destroyed. Because he's not a God to be trifled with. He's not a sweet little Santa Claus. He's not a sweet little daddy. He is the God of the universe who shook the foundations of the world when he speaks. That when he decides to roll out the banner of his flag onto the field of battle, everyone shudders in his midst. And, hey, and Moses was like, oh no, I can't even look. And then he was moving towards him. And God was so loving that he went, Moses, and it wasn't sweet language that he said there uh, to Moses. In verse 5, it says in the ESV, then he said, uh, do not come near, take your sandals off. All inflection, right? Oh, do not come near, take your sandals off. You know what it says in Hebrew? Stop! Don't make one more step. Not one more step. And Moses stopped. And he said, you're on fatal ground, Moses. You were standing in the death zone. This is holy ground that you're standing on. For I am a holy God. And I cannot be in the presence of unholy things. I consume them. I destroy them in my presence. Because I am holy. I am other. I am set apart. I am so different and righteous from anything else. That Moses, you are in, you are in dangerous territory. And Moses stopped where he was. And he said he took off his shoes. And he stood Right there. God introduced himself to Moses in a powerful way. And we were talking in, um, some of you have seen the quote going around this week, and it's a great quote. And uh, We were talking about it yesterday in our inquirers class uh, about the only person uh, that would be so bold as to go into a king's bedroom at 3 a.m. in the morning and ask for a glass of water is a child of the king. And we're that kind of child to the king of the universe. And I like the quote. I love the imagery. And it's a true imagery that we do get to go in. But you better remember that he's the king. He may be your father. But he's the king. He may be our dad. And we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. But he's still the king of the universe. And he's not to be trifled with. Job trifled with him, didn't he? Job pushed him a little too far. Job went with the, oh, God is so snuggly and wonderful and warm, and I can just cuddle him in church, and I can question him, and I can push him, and I can do all of this stuff, and I can listen to the counsel of some of my idiot friends, and I can then question God on their behalf, and I can do all this. And God said, hey, Job, gird yourself up as a man and step outside. 
If Job didn't have an Adam's apple, he got it right then. It was stuck. What? And God took Job outside. And he restrained himself, but he said this to Job. Job, look at that mountain. Did you make that mountain? Did you tell it to rise that far and no further? Did you tell the ocean to go thus far and no further? Who are you to question me? What does the clay have to say to the potter? So there's always this tension of realizing that God is our father and that we have access to him, but we, he is the God of the universe, not to be trifled with. And so what most of us try to do is we try to diminish his holiness. Oh, he's not all that holy. He's not really all that concerned with what we do. That we think some of you, some of you, are working really hard to have a cool testimony. You're working really hard to have a testimony that people want to hear. And you're thinking that God doesn't care about your lifestyle. And that he doesn't care about your rebellion. And you diminish his holiness because one day you want to come back around and you want to go, hey, this was cool. I used to do all these idiotic things and God saved me. Be very, very careful to kick the lion of Judah like that. Because he's still a lion. And he says, I'm not to be trifled with. But then he says, but I am to be known. Because Moses goes, who are you? Who are you? And the angel of the Lord speaks and he says, I am the God of your fathers, Isaac, of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And he goes, hey, if I go, and I love this. Here's the language that he actually uses. Should I go to Egypt on your behalf? What? Look at the audacity of the guy. That'd be like a parent saying to a child, hey, go clean your room. And the child goes, should I decide to behave and obey you this afternoon? That was Moses. And he, Moses said, but who, if I do go, who do I tell them sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am sent you. And he said, tell them this inscrutable God who cannot fully be known whose name is even a mystery, sent you. Tell them that the God who is in the present tense, who has no beginning and no end, who's this God who is always and always will be, sent you. Tell them uh, that I am sent you, that I am unchangeable, that I don't need anything, that I am self-existent, that I am sent you. But tell them this, because I've made myself known to you. Look at the beautiful condescension of a holy God to speak to an inquisitive, flawed servant. He reminded him, hey, don't forget who I am and you are. Be careful. Distinction here. But then let me tell you who I am. I'm your covenant-keeping Father. And I'm powerful. And I'm going to do a great thing. Because I'm a tender God. I don't have time to unpack it. Do you remember the prayer of the people? It says that they prayed to God. And it says that he heard them. And he saw them. And he knew them. And guess what it says here? God said to Moses, I heard the cry of my people. And I saw them. And I heard them. I knew their plight. He said, I know them. I'm intimate with them. This is the God who we serve. This incredible, holy, self-sustaining, sufficient God. So, 
First point, God redeems flawed people. Second thing we see is God loves to introduce himself to flawed people. But then it leads to a question. We've got to be quick on these things. It leads to this question. How do we remain in the presence of this kind of God? If God is this holy and God is this other, how is it that we get to remain in his presence? How do I get to stay there? And it wasn't because he took off his shoes. It was because of who was standing there in the midst of the fire. And the angel of the Lord. Most scholars would say that Christ himself was standing right there. That the only way for a flawed, sinful, broken person to remain in the presence of an all-consuming, fiery, sanctifying, holy, righteous God is because Christ stands right there with you. That Christ was there. And Christ is the one who was reminding Moses and is the one who reminds us. Here's what Christ says to you. He says to to me, Bill, I took my father's flame. I took his all-consuming judgment. I took the cup of wrath that was there to you for you to drink. And I drank every drop of it. And there's not a drop left for you to drink. And you get my perfection. And I got my father's wrath for your unholiness. And now you get to stand in his presence. And you get to go ask him for a cup of water at three in the morning. And you get to call on him and ask him to protect your brothers and sisters around the world. You get to call on him who is now your God because I was pierced and crucified on your behalf. I was crushed under the weight of my father's glory. Because you would have been, and I saved you. So guys, how do you get to stand in the presence of this God? Please, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this, don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to enter into the presence of this all-consuming, flaming, incredible, wonderful, knowing, perfect God by thinking you can just take off your sandals. That you can just be a better person. That you can just stop a few things or do a few things. And somehow that mitigates God. You have to have Christ. You have to have Christ. You have to have Christ. There. With you. All the time. Who reminds you. Remember they were leading him into Eden. Do you remember what was left at Eden? To keep you from getting into Eden? A sword, a fiery sword held by an angel. And Christ says, I'm willing to be pierced and killed so that you can walk over my body back into Eden. That's what we need. And then the final thing is this, the conclusion, which you already know, right? How do you know that you've encountered this God? And not just some construct of your own creation. Not just some construct of a good and loving God or a holy God or some God who can be messed with or can be controlled or that you can bargain with and you can do all. How do you know that you've actually come and encountered the true and living God? Here's how. You are forever changed. Moses was different after this experience. He was still human. He still had his flaws. But he was different because he'd come in the presence of God and he wasn't consumed He had to be amazed. Read the psalms that he writes, the songs that he writes, the praises that he does. See what he does on behalf of God because he came into his presence. He's forever changed. 
One of the most difficult things that I can ever do in my ministry, and I've been asked to do so many times, is to do a funeral for a person who has shown absolutely no sign of anything redemptive in their life. But when they were little, they walked an aisle. Or when they were a teenager, they had a Jesus moment on a mountaintop somewhere. But the rest of their life showed absolutely nothing about Christ. And I was asked to stand up and give assurance to a family who was grieving that their loved one was in heaven. If you've met Christ, if you've met God, you'll be different. You will. Just naturally. It just happens at some point. And then there's the other part. You've got to work out your salvation. But I'll tell you this about my life. And it's not just to say, hey, look at me. But I'll tell you this. All of a sudden, I encountered Christ on the road on I-77 heading south from Charlotte to Columbia in 1990. And I got home. And all of a sudden, I realized everything that I was about had to change. I couldn't be in the same relationship that I was in. I couldn't drink the same way that I drank. I couldn't smoke the same things that I used to smoke. I couldn't do and speak the same way that I used to speak. I couldn't look at things. I, I couldn't listen to the same things. Everything was about me had to change because I'd come into the presence of this God. And it wasn't just I'm going to be a little nicer or maybe I won't cuss. Well, you shouldn't. But the purpose, the reason is because you just walked into the presence of a holy God. And then the next thing that happens is you'll follow his call. God told Moses, now I want you to go to Egypt. You may sputter around with a few excuses. I don't talk, I don't do well. And God goes, I'm with you. Now go in my power and watch me do great things through you. You'll listen to his call and you'll answer it. And that doesn't mean you're all heading overseas on missions, by the way. But it means that you have a passion for mission. For seeing your neighborhood differently. For your hearts breaking uh, over the lost. Uh, over those who are experiencing injustice in our world. Who have no, for, you are different. You're different. Because you've come into the presence of the true God. So here's the question for you today. Before you go out and wear green, and get all silly this afternoon. You know what St. Patrick would have said and did say to Britain, come meet this all-changing God who took me, who you abused and you enslaved and you tried to kill and now has sent me back to you and changed me as a man that I would love God so much that I'm willing to love you, my oppressors. That's St. Patrick. So please do not get drunk in his name today. But would you go and share the gospel in the name of the one that he loved?